minds of just about every parent in this room this morning. Yes, the sermon will be a little bit shorter than it normally is. And so let me follow that by answering another question for those of you who love the richness of diving into the depths of God's word and say, no, that will not be at the compromise of the scriptures this morning. Um, The reason that the sermon will be a little shorter is because we're gonna dive into less verses than we normally do, simply said. So um, hopefully uh, everyone in this room is encouraged by what you just heard. Uh, According to the liturgical church calendar, the, the season of Advent came to a close several days ago as we celebrated Christmas, the first coming of Christ, the baby in a manger, light shining into the the darkness, the celebration of Jesus, our rescuer, this God so filled with love for his people that he would take on a killable body in order to sign the check for their ransom with his blood, a God who can't fathom a storyline in which he doesn't die in the place of those who deserve to do the dying. We spend the better part of of a month with great anticipation leading up to Christmas Day, the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And then comes December 26th, the ultimate buzzkill, right? The tree, once adorned with tinsel and lights and ornaments, hauled to the side of the road. Though some of you try to stretch that as far as you can before your neighbors start talking nasty about you. The stockings get packed away for another year. The Christmas playlist gets set aside for something a little bit more calendar appropriate. For many of us, if you're like me, December 26th uh, exposes the longings of the human heart, this desire for for something better, which, which is why I can think of no better passage of scripture to go to this morning at this point in the calendar year than Isaiah 55, God's invitation to to come and and drink freely from the well of true, ultimate, and everlasting gladness, namely God himself. If I could sum it up, this, this morning's passage of scripture and where we're going is an invitation to pursue your pleasure. To, to act as a Christian hedonist as we move into 2019, but namely to pursue your pleasure in the greatest source and fount of pleasure, God himself. Because when we are ultimately satisfied in God, he is most glorified in us to steal the language of John Piper. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Isaiah 55 this morning. We'll just be in the verse three verses. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the chairs in the row in front of you. You can grab one of those Bibles and open up to this morning's passage. If you don't own a Bible, please take that as our belated Christmas gift to you. Um, As you're opening up, I'm gonna go ahead and pray for our time together this morning. Got a handful of us perhaps come in energized this morning, raring to go. Um, No need to get through song number one before our hearts and our minds are awakened and warmed But for most of us in this room, my guess would be that we come in running a little ragged. Maybe some of us battling depression that comes in the wake of Christmas having come and gone. Um, Seasonal sadness. uh, Even just the awareness of just how much we ran ourselves ragged for several weeks in a row and this desperate desire to decompress and and hit the reset button. And so I pray this morning that for any who come in this morning uh, who don't profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, that they would uh, see you, God, in the face of Jesus Christ as the source of all satisfying 
refreshment and nourishment and gladness and that for those of us who come in as Christ followers, I pray that you would re-evangelize us because that ultimately, in a sense, is what worship is. It's a re-evangelization of our hearts, um, reminding us in the midst of our forgetfulness that you are the source of all satisfying joy. So God, would you do that by the power of your spirit? Holy Spirit, we are desperate for you to move this morning. I ask that in the name of Jesus, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So Isaiah 55, it's a really interesting chapter of the Bible. It's been declared by some to be God's own gospel sermon, which is kind of interesting language to think about. Much of this chapter, uh, God actually uh, uses this first person singular. There's a lot of I and me in Isaiah 55. It's God's invitation to respond to the Messiah in light of his saving work, which Isaiah presents in great detail just a couple of chapters prior to this morning's passage. Very famous passage of scripture, Isaiah 53, beginning in verse three, says he And this is speaking of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah says. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The sinless one dying in the place of sinners, securing the redemption of this eternal family. In light of his saving work, we're invited to come to the most satisfying banqueting table in all of the universe, our invitation paid for in full by Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah 53, beginning in verse one. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. That in light of God's promise, plan and work of redemption, there's this earnest appeal to come. That word used four times in verse one alone. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Notice that that there are two kinds of people that God invites in this passage. The thirsty and bankrupt, verse one, and those who have attempted to buy happiness and been found wanting, verse two. Pretty much covers everyone in this room, right? Some of us come in this morning feeling like everything good is just out of our reach, unfulfilled dreams, unmet expectations, frustrations that we couldn't keep our New Year's resolution from 2018, the short end of every stick this year maybe, nothing to bring to the table, just a longing for something better, a thirst and nothing more. And then there are others of us who have listened to the thousand other voices saying, come, come to the well of power and influence and drink. Come to the well of safety and security and drink. Come to the well of status and approval and drink. Drink and and know true everlasting joy. Practically every advertisement in the world is an invitation to come, 
to drink from the well and be satisfied. And I would argue that many of us have listened to far too many of those voices, myself included, that many of us know what it is to use the language of Isaiah to spend our money for that which is not bread, to labor for that which does not satisfy, to, to invest our time and our efforts and our money in the pursuit of lesser forms of happiness, only to experience disappointment, maybe even disillusionment in the aftermath. Earlier this week, as many of you, I had a little bit of extra time on my hands and so did a little bit of perusing through the news, the headlines in various categories. And as I was looking up some of the the headlines in the sporting world, I came across this interview Uh, that took place with Urban Meyer, the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, who very soon will step down from his role as head coach for the second time in his career. And and he was asked about his his future, his his career future. And, And this is what he said, and I quote, I'm hoping, and I've said this before, I'm hoping that I fall in love with something. I fell in love with student athletes, so I'm hoping that I get into an administrative role here at Ohio State, and I'm hoping I get knee deep in that, and that fills the void, because there is a void, he says. Remember the the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter four, who sought happiness in the arms of half a dozen different men? Jesus comes along and he says, you can keep drinking water from this well, and you'll just find yourself thirsty over and over and over and over again, The alternative, I can give you living water and you'll never be thirsty again. That in essence is what God's saying here in Isaiah 55. That man does not live by bread alone, nor money, nor status, nor power, nor influence. That if we chase after ultimate fulfillment and things other than God, our soul will shut down and die just like the human body will shut down without physical water. So the question begs to be answered, what does God offer as an alternative? Thankfully, verse one doesn't leave us in the dark on that. He offers refreshment signified by water. He offers nourishment signified by milk. And he offers gladness signified by wine. Come to the waters, he says. It is at the table of God that dehydrated souls are refreshed are restored. Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. But not only that, come by milk, he says. It's at the table of God that spiritual bones are strengthened, that we grow in healthiness and stability, deeper roots. He says, come by wine. It's at the table of God that hearts are made glad, the true fountain of happiness. And and unless we think that these gifts are separate from God, he says in verse three, come to me. That, that God is ultimately offering himself here in Isaiah 55, that he is the refreshing water. He is the nourishing milk. He is the gladdening wine. The, the Psalms are filled with language that captures the heart of Isaiah 55, that God is the milk of Isaiah 55 that strengthens the heart. Psalm 73, 25 says it, whom have I in heaven but you, God, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the, here it is, strength of my heart and my portion forever. But not only is he the milk of Isaiah 55, he's the water of Isaiah 55 that refreshes the soul. Psalm 42, verses one and two, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, 
Elsewhere, Psalm 63, verses one through three. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. And God is also the wine of Isaiah 55 that gladdens the heart. Psalm 16, 11 says, you, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is, here it is, fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is the milk, the water, and the wine of Isaiah 55. This is a God to whom thirsty, bankrupt people can come. And this is a God to whom those who have spent their resources in this failing pursuit of happiness can come. And he offers in himself, according to these verses, consummate refreshment, gladness, and nourishment. If you're not a Christian, maybe you come in this morning wondering, how do I get a seat at that table? How do I get a seat at the table of this all-satisfying God? Which verse one answers as well. He says two different times, come, buy. But he also says, come without money and without price. In other words, the gift of God himself doesn't come without cost, come, buy. But in the same breath, your money's no good here. Come without money and without price. That you can't afford it, nor can I. You can't buy the consummate refreshment, nourishment, and gladness God offers in himself. In pride, we can bring all of our accomplishments to the feet of God, and no matter how much morality we pile up before him, it won't buy us a seat at the table. And in shame, we can scourge ourselves No matter how much we beat ourselves up over our failures, it won't buy us a seat at the table either. That no one is self-righteous enough and no one is self-loathing enough. John Oswalt in his commentary on Isaiah, he says, a banqueting table is worse than useless to the person who is either too proud or too ashamed to come and eat from it. That you and I are invited to the banqueting table of the all-satisfying God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. He lived the sinless life that we could never live, bringing all of the accomplishments that we could never bring ourselves to the feet of God. He died the sinner's death that we deserve to die, bearing the shame of every one of our sinful failures in our place. It's part of the wonder of Christmas. We talked about it just a few days back. The tiny hands of the baby in that manger would go on to receive the nails of crucifixion, the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 53. Again, the gift of God himself doesn't come without cost. 1 Peter 1.18 says it this way, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. what, What must our response be to a God who says, come, buy, but by the way, your money's no good here. Answer, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Nothing but the blood of Jesus reconciling sinners to an all-satisfying God forever. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. We sing it all the time around here. And so if you're, if you're not a Christian, you're invited simply to come, to stop drinking from broken cisterns, to come and receive him, to come to the living water, to come to the bread of life, to come to the one who at great cost to himself has made a way for you to enjoy making much of this all-satisfying God forever. And if you are a Christian, you heard me pray this earlier, we Christians desperately and constantly need to be re-evangelized which is in one sense what what worship is. 
putting the all-satisfying God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ in front of ourselves over and over and over again, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is not some one-plate affair. Though many in the American South have painted that picture of Christianity, come to the table once at the moment of your conversion and then abandon the table until you die. That's not the Christian life. It's not a one-plate affair. There are seconds and thirds. In fact, there's an endless buffet for the people of God. I would argue, because I know it's true of myself, that many of the disappointments that you, you and I in this room have encountered this very week are rooted in our own forgetfulness. We, we forget and pursue our, our fulfillment and happiness in things other than, than Jesus. We, we try desperately to make God fit into our pursuit of happiness elsewhere, expecting him to, to help us get there to act as our helpmate in the pursuit of lesser forms of happiness, which is not only foolishness, it's rebellion. Going back to the the first week of this series, if you were around, it's treating God as a concept rather than a reality. To bring that quote from Tim Keller back into the picture, he says, God as a concept is lighter than you. When you bring God as a concept into your life, you shape it. It fits in around your existing patterns. It doesn't move you. It doesn't quake you. If you believe in God and it just hasn't changed you very much, it's just a concept, he says. A God concept can't really change your beliefs around. He just fits in with your existing beliefs. You shape the God concept. The God concept doesn't shape you. You have more glory than the God concept. The God concept is lighter. And the God concept not only moves into our existing patterns of our beliefs, but the the existing patterns of our agendas and our plans and goals. Plenty of people try to get religious, he says. They go to church, they start to pray, they read their Bible. Why? Because they need help in getting to their goals. He goes on to say, God as a concept is lighter than you, but God as a reality is heavier than you. When the real God comes into your life, when you actually get into the presence of the real God, things give way in your life to his glory Things that you always believed and that you believe very, 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 very deeply are changed by his word because God has more glory than your beliefs. He can change things that you think. And also, instead of God being fit into your agenda, God becomes your new agenda. He radically changes your priorities. When God, the reality, comes into your life, he says, all that stuff starts to change. Perhaps as we close out 2018 and move into the new year, perhaps some of us need to be re-evangelized this morning. I know I do. If you can just be honest for, for a second, even those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we, we all face temptation, do we not? To use the imagery and language of Proverbs, the, the temptation to lend an ear to, to Lady Folly's attempts to seduce us, to dine at her table, though Jesus' table is spread with everything we need to satisfy us and bring us true and lasting joy. I think one of the questions that we could wrestle with as we close out this calendar year and move into the new year would be to ask, what, what is it that functionally I believe the hole in me looks like. Because the reality is we're designed with this God-shaped hole, this longing for God himself, this thing that only God can, can meet within us truly and ultimately and fully and eternally. For Urban Meyer, that God-shaped hole was shaped like a football. And he's trying to figure out what, what, what do I fill the hole with now and does the hole change shape for me over the course of the next season of my life? 
What about you? What, what does that look like for you? If you were gonna pursue lesser forms of happiness, if you were gonna kind of seek to, to reshape and retool the hole within you and try to fill it with something, what would that, what would that look like? What, what might Lady Folly's best shot at you be? God as a concept can only leave us parched and hungry to use the imagery of Isaiah 55. God as a reality is the fount of true refreshment, nourishment, and gladness, even when we don't functionally believe it. And, and here's the good news. If you come in and you go, yeah, okay, but if we can be honest for a second, I don't feel like God satisfies my every longing. Here, here's, here's good news. You can come to God with that too. That's the kind of God that the God of the Bible is. You can bring that to him and you can have that wrestling experience with him to say, I don't feel you to be what you declare yourself to be in Isaiah 55 and God's big enough to handle that. He really is. That's part of the good news. If you're not a Christian, you're invited to come for the first time. If you are, you're invited to come for the thousandth time perhaps this morning, to come to the one who can satisfy every longing of your soul. And, and here's the good news for those of us who, who feel the way that, that I just mentioned, myself included at times. God, I don't have this feeling sense that, that you satisfy the way you describe yourself to satisfy in Isaiah 55. Here's some more good news. That God will return someday the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and he will satisfy your soul's every longing forever. When he returns to gather his people for the marriage supper of the lamb, to use the language of Revelation 19, eternal unending bliss in the presence of our all-satisfying savior and king. And, and, and here's the good news. There will be no December 26 to follow it, amen? Won't that be glorious? No trees to drag out by the side of the road, no stockings to put away. It will be a celebration that will never end. Eternal bliss. And so, yeah, this morning Christmas might be over, but the Christmas story isn't over. And so my prayer for us as we move on with this service and as we exit this place is that we would long for the second coming of Christ with the anticipation of a child waiting for Christmas singing our way into the new year joyfully because of the promised all-satisfying future that's ours in Jesus Christ. There is always hope because he will return to set all things right. In a moment, we're gonna continue to worship as we do every week. Uh, one of those forms of worship will be through the receiving of communion. If you're a Christian, that meal is for you. We take the bread uh, on either side of me, you see the tables. There's one in the back, the bread representing the broken body of Jesus, the cup representing his shed blood. I invite you to, to come and to, to celebrate as you receive the elements this morning, the fact that only because of what Jesus has accomplished can God extend that invitation of Isaiah 55. Without Jesus, there is no come to the fount of everlasting joy. And so the fact that the invitation is there is because of Jesus Christ. So let's celebrate him this morning as we receive of the elements. We have an opportunity to sing to this Savior and King together as his people gather. There'll be people in the back to pray with and for you. If you come in this morning and go, man, I am. I'm disappointed. I'm disillusioned. I'm not even sure that I have the strength to come to him myself. There'll be people in the back to, um, to hold your arms up, so to speak, to pray for you, to lift you up to, to this God who invites us to come to him.